In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. It's time to get happy. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Cayman. A fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness because happiness is a choice. And happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show, Harvesting Happiness. Lisa's going to shine a light on the well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. And as a filmmaker, psychologist, author, professor, and motivational speaker specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cypress Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. In the show, she'll also focus on military families, service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and civilian life reintegration issues. So let's get to it. Harvesting happiness on Tuggynet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. I'm here today, as I am each and every week, to talk with you about happiness, well-being, and human flourishing. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. The achievement of a happy life is not only good for us, but for those around us. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to the collective flourishing of humanity on a global level. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. Before we do a little housekeeping and announcements, I want to open up the phone lines for call-ins at 877 864-4869. Again, that's 877-864-4869. Or connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. Again, that's Harvesting Happiness on Facebook. And Lisa Kamen on Twitter, where we can join the conversation in other ways than just by phone. You can also come into toginet.com's chat room. If you go into toginet.com and see live chat, hit that button and come in and join us there. So let's talk about a few exciting developments in the world of harvesting happiness before we bring on our guest, Ambassador Douglas Kamek. And that is that Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, our 501c3, has um, received our nonprofit status from the IRS. This was a a year-long project, and we got the word last week. So Lookout World will be expanding our programming for returning military personnel and their loved ones who are challenged by combat trauma and other post-deployment reintegration issues. You can find out more about Harvesting Happiness for Heroes at at hh4heroes.org. I will also be uh, delivering a short keynote address on uh, Saturday, May 19th down in San Diego for an event called The Unseen Wound, and I will be speaking alongside Colonel David Sutherland, uh, formerly with the Pentagon, and we will talk about the very important issues of combat trauma and serving our service personnel who have given their, their lives and their focus to our country. So let's get on to our 
guest today and uh, a subject that is not always happy. And one of the things I love about doing this show is happiness works inversely, I've found. In, in, in my own life and in talking to people, we often get to that place of authentic joy or real sustainable joy when we've traveled a journey that might not always be happy at the start. And today's guest is, is one of those gentlemen. Uh, we have today uh, Ambassador Douglas W. Kamek, who is an American legal scholar, author, and former ambassador. He is the Caruso Family Chair and Professor of Constitutional Law at Pepperdine University School of Law. Ambassador Kemet came to prominence during the United States presidential election in 2008 when, although a Republican, this is important, listen up, he was a Republican, he endorsed Democrat Barack Obama. In July 2009, he was nominated by President Obama to serve as U.S. Ambassador to Malta. And he'll tell you a little bit about why Malta is such a special place on, on the map. Ambassador Kamek has recently released a book titled Lift Up Your Hearts, A True Story of Loving Your Enemies, Tragically Killing Your Friends, and The Life That Remains, which demonstrates that the one of the most difficult to experience human traits that out of tragedy can come understanding, catharsis, self-improvement, and I might add uh, transformation. Welcome, Ambassador Kamek. Thank you for joining us. Lisa, it's very nice to be with you. Good morning. Oh, good morning. And I also want to offer that we will be giving away uh, one of your books uh, as part of our weekly contest. So you can join in on that by going to Facebook and joining the uh, contest there. Let's talk a little bit about, we'll work from from the present day backwards. This book uh, is a pretty amazing story. And I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about what happened and the adventure that ensued that has brought you to this place. Sure. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it, in the book, I call it a, a story of intersecting lives, and it really is that. And you never quite know how your lives are going to inter- intersect. It's a bit of serendipity. But as you mentioned, the in 2008, notwithstanding having been Ronald Reagan's legal counsel and been associated with the Republicans for a good long time, I looked out at the electoral field and discovered that I didn't like a great deal of what I saw. I saw people on my side or my usual side of the ledger engaging in what it gets called the politics of division or wedge politics, trying to win by separating us from that which unites us. And at the same time, I was paying attention to this young man named Barack Obama, who seemed to be inspired to do the opposite, to uh, not only break through barriers that uh, his ancestry, uh, you know, has, of course, burdened our country with in terms of its history, and do that so effortlessly and do it on his own merit and his own talents, but also to form community. And so I was very much attracted to Barack Obama, and and one Easter Sunday morning decided that I was going to devote an online column that I was writing at the time to an endorsement of him. And I didn't think, Lisa, that, you know, anybody would quite be paying attention. (laughs) And by the time I got home from 
Easter services that day, and well, my computer looked like it was a red-hot object, and it, there were two sets of people in there. There was one set that was about ready to hang me as Benedict Arnold, and indeed it had called out the troops, and the other set was a, a set of bewildered Democrats that were basically saying, are you for real? And my response was to say, is the president, is your candidate for real? And they said, well, come meet him. And and I had the pleasure of doing that, and as a result, also was discovered that he is exactly who he seems to be. He is a person of great discernment. He is a person who listens to people who have opposing views. He is somebody who does try to reach out and, and f- formulate a common ground. And I was delighted to campaign for him. I didn't quite expect anything in return because I live in a nice place and didn't want to escape from it. You know, I live in Malibu, California. It's kind of hard to improve on that. And uh, But the president did offer what turned out to be an extraordinary privilege, and that is to represent your own country in a, in a foreign country. And there's there's nothing quite like that, Lisa, because... And maybe the best way to explain it is is just to talk about an anecdote on the first day. When the car that I had as an ambassador left the gate that morning, I noticed that there was a flag on the left fender, and of course it was the American flag. But I also then noticed out my window, there was a Maltese citizen, about 80 years old, saluting the flag of our country. It was such an extraordinary moment. I said to the driver, I said, you have to stop. I've got to hug that guy. And he said, no, sir, you will discover that many people have respect for your country uh, in this land. And, you know, that when you receive that kind of message on behalf of your fellow citizens, and I must say on behalf of our president as well, because our president is very well received in Europe uh, that uh, it it is a special gift. So th- this was, you know, this was the beginning of 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 a journey two years ago. But in the middle of it, uh, which really forms the heart of the book, and is the tragedy that you alluded to, is that I was home on leave for just a few days and anxious to see friends that I had missed. You know, for that first year of foreign service. And two of those friends were elderly clergy, as a 95-year-old Monsignor named John Sheridan, a 75-year-old sister named Mary Campbell. Both of them longtime friends, people who I counted on as uh, for guidance for my own counsel, but who were really people of such enormous kindness that they were magnets for our local community. Uh, with regard to well beyond the Catholic faith into every faith and no faith at all. There were just people that were so inclusive in their nature that you were drawn to them. Well, they asked me if I would take them to a a wonderful uh, celebratory moment for Sister Mary that morning, and we did. We had a great time celebrating the anniversary of her religious order in the United States, a religious order that's devoted to teaching children. And on the way home, the unthinkable happened. In a four-second slide off a canyon road, the car went into a ditch, hit a retaining wall, and Mary was gone at that very moment. Uh, John and I were both injured quite severely, and we were both evacuated by medical helicopter to UCLA, 
three weeks later, John would, go, would, would die himself of the injuries. I would recover in the physical sense, but I tell you, the spiritual sense is, is one that requires far more attention and far more work and far more care than the physical, not to, not to in any way understate the contribution of the surgeon. But the, the, the things that touch the heart, the things that touch the soul, you and know, require that- special attention. I don't mean to interrupt you at this moment because we are going to go to break, and this is an incredible story that I want to continue when we come back. But this book, Lift Up Your Hearts, A True Story of Loving Your Enemies, Tragically Killing Your Friends, and The Life That Remains is available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough. And that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Are you someone who leaps out of bed to greet the morning, amazed at your good fortune every hour of the day? Or are you someone like me who needs regular infusions of inspiration? I'm Meg Pierre, a photographer, travel writer, and creator of the website www.viewfromthepier.com which focuses on the human quest to connect with self, others, and a sense of wonder. Every day, the site features a new beautiful image from my travels around the world, captioned by an uplifting quotation. This daily dose of inspiration is available free. Viewfromthepeer.com also presents monthly interviews with fascinating people I have met in my travels who offer their personal stories and wisdom along with in-depth destination stories about cultural traditions from around the world. If your day could benefit from a quick change of scenery or attitude adjustment, I invite you to visit www.viewfromthepeer.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on T-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you are joining us now, we are here today with Ambassador Douglas Kamek, who is an American legal scholar. He served as ambassador to Malta, and there is a huge story in between. He was a Republican, and he endorsed Barack Obama, and uh, a very controversial 
uh, set of circumstances ensued, which we will get on to later in the show. But we're talking about an event, a transformational event that happened uh, while he was the ambassador to Malta. He was home uh, on leave, on a visit, and the unthinkable happened, where uh, a, a car accident uh, happened and two people who were very near and dear to Ambassador Kamek's heart were killed, uh, one nearly instantaneously, the other a few days later. And we're talking about it in the context of his latest book, Lift Up Your Heart, a true story of loving your enemies, tragically killing your friends, and the life that remains. And this story that you're sharing, this this moment in time in your life, clearly was a crossroads of everything, of, of faith, of of your professional life, of uh, your personal world, people closest to you. How did that change you, and what did you learn? Well, it's a, you know, at first, Lisa, it's a very dark moment because you're you're almost in shock. You you uh, you have a tendency to say, "Why me?" and uh, you know, "How could this possibly be?" You, you spend a lot of time reading the Book of Job, and you you feel a certain companionship with Job, who was, of course, singled out for special uh, you know tests in the Old Testament to see whether he was going to be ultimately loyal to God, and you sort of get angry at God. You, 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 you say to yourself, well, why is he testing Job? And goodness knows, why is he testing Doug? And uh, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that at the end, you recognize, you know, that so many, so much of, uh, of all of our lives, uh, you know, is always at risk of these challenges an untimely death, an illness that's unwanted, the a, a downturn in our economic fortunes and circumstances. And so the first thing uh, to, to finding your way to the light is to see that you're not alone. And, uh, and in fact, you know, the, uh, one of the things that made this discovery especially poignant is because it was John Sheridan, the person the Monsignor who died in the crash, along with Sister Mary, who taught me, you know, the, the importance of, of being part of a community. And indeed, I, I would say that, you know, it was their influence in many ways. Well, they're not, they weren't political figures, but they were strongly believing in peace. And so they were deeply troubled by the Iraq War. They were deeply troubled by the circumstances of our present time where it seems that the family wage is not adequate oftentimes to make ends meet and people are losing their homes and so forth. And so they were quite influential in, the, in that very beginning decision itself to, to look more broadly beyond my usual suspects of candidates to support. And they were quite shocked, as I was, to, to now just step back to the campaign for a moment and to leave the the post-campaign part of the story, um, they were quite shocked by the reaction of our fellow Catholics to the notion that uh, I would be able to see the other side. Now, Barack Obama and I have some disagreements on some fundamental issues. I tend to see the abortion issue more in, the, in, in line with the Catholic position, which is to to emphasize the importance of protecting unborn life from the moment of conception. The president sees it differently. He has nothing against unborn life, and 
would like to see all life protected, but also feels that it's not the role of government to make those decisions for women. Now, that has for the longest time been the divide between Democrats and Republicans. Um, Is there any way in which a common ground, a common cause can be made with that? And one of the things the president said and pointed out very nicely was that when you discover, if you're in in good economic circumstances, that you're going to be a father or a, a new mother, you have nothing but joy because that's this is this is these are great moments. But when you're poor and you lack health care and you lack shelter and perhaps lack a spouse, the news of an impending birth has a different feel to it. And, you know, one could see where the president was going with that, or at the time Senator Obama was going with that. He said, can't we work together, Doug, to increase the amount of health care available to those who lack insurance, to especially provide prenatal care, to provide jobs and shelter? And won't that availability reduce the incidence of abortion? Of course it would. It logically has to. And so even though there wasn't 100% agreement between the two of us, there was enough agreement for us not to be paralyzed into inaction, but to take up, you know, our joint cause uh, together, at least insofar as we could reduce the rates of uh, that uh, terrible, tragic decision uh, in that fashion. But lo and behold, you know, there were folks in, in my church who, unfortunately, even decided at one point to deny me communion and to call me out in various ways that, you know, were quite hurtful. Um, But uh, all things worked out for the good there as well, because that came to the attention of the leaders of the church, and they, they did their best to put a stop to that kind of, that kind of politicization of the faith. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a dark moment, and it was a dark moment that I was helped uh, get through by my friend that I lost in this tragic accident. What is so fascinating about this story is the tight weave of it all, the the intimate friendship that you had with Monsignor John and Sister Mary, and I know from conversations that we've had that there was such a simpatico there, you know, when you would, you and John would have tea and toast, if I'm remembering Tea and toast, that's right. That was his expression for conversation, and it would often go into lunch as well, but uh, it would start with tea and toast in the morning, and if, if it was quite vibrant, and it was a very close relationship, and it demonstrated not only the qualities of John and Mary, which were manifold, but it also illustrated that oftentimes our friendships, you know, come from unlikely places. Here's a man quite much older than myself, much different, uh, you know, life, you know, that he that he led, and at the same time we were, you know, speaking directly to each other's hearts and resonating very quite closely and working quite closely. And I think that's the heart of of the story, is about that connection between human hearts in the tragedy, the the joy that was ultimately recovered uh, as a result of your journey, and this sidebar story of these two unlikely uh, 
political people getting together. I mean, you originally as a Republican and then Senator Obama as a Democrat, and you both being able to see the other side and then your work in Malta, which I really want to touch upon because it's fascinating. Most of us um, think of Malta as a little island that just is, that really has no strong political affiliation, certainly no uh, import in the world in world defense and it's quite the opposite and i would love for you to talk about that for a second well malta you know when you when the president said uh, i i'm contemplating sending you to malta he said uh, what do you know about it and i said well mr president i know it's a an island in the mediterranean that saint paul in the year 60 shipwrecked upon and he said well you probably now eclipsed the knowledge that many Americans have of Malta, and, and it's not surprising because, as you say, it's a small place, but it turns out to be a pivotal place in history. It's a crossroads, and it's especially a crossroads for faith. Uh, to the north in Europe is Christianity. To the south in, in Africa, North Africa in particular, is Islam. To the east is the Judaic tradition. And the president, you know, having gotten to know me over these religious questions, I was his outreach, as we were just discussing to the Catholic community, said, uh, you know, this is this is a place where you'll you'll find that it's uh, very comfortable for you because it's you know largely Catholic because of St. Paul's influence, but it's also a place that I think you'll be able to conduct interfaith efforts to get the faiths to talk to each other. It's a place where there won't be any suspicions as to, you know, why you're talking about how faith matters to resolving disputes. And it's also that, as we said a moment ago, that pivot place where it's close to where the three great Abrahamic faiths, you know, uh, uh, you know in history coincide. And uh, so part of the mission was to do the regular things that ambassadors do, and uh, you know, I you know these these things re- regard national security and stopping illicit weapons and human trafficking and all sorts of things that can go wrong on the on the sea and at a free port, but also as a way of of reaching out to other faith traditions to demonstrate how that can be employed in a way to resolve conflict and to avoid it. Um, and uh, we made a great deal of progress on that, and uh, to, the, to the point that uh, while some people resisted these changes, the president himself, having gone to Cairo to talk about the importance of mutual understanding leading to mutual respect, you know, was the voice that ultimately I think will prevail on that question. Well, and we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this. But what I love about this story and this part of your life is that it really shows a different kind of leadership, a very um, different way that involves leading from the heart as well as the head and leading from a spiritual place that is not necessarily religiously based, but is all about believing that we're not separate. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll carry on the conversation to learn more about Ambassador Kamek. I do not have a website here. Is there a website for the book, Doug? Uh, There is a website for the book. There's also a Facebook page for the book, and uh, the Facebook page is Lift Up Your Hearts. We will go to a break. We'll come back, and we'll get more information about that. 
We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. likes to win, enter our weekly contests at Harvesting Happiness on Facebook, where we give away our guests' books, music, film, and products each week. In addition, we also do great Harvesting Happiness giveaways, like free coaching sessions with Lisa Cypress Cayman, Lisa's Books, Happiness First Aid Kits, H-Factor Where Is Your Heart documentary film, Happiness is an inside job product, including the Sterling Silver Infinity Bracelet that benefit Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, a nonprofit whose mission is to assist our returning military personnel and their loved ones challenged by combat trauma and other post-deployment reintegration issues. Join us at Harvesting Happiness on Facebook. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Cayman on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We're here today with Douglas Kamek, who is an American legal scholar, author, and former ambassador to Malta. He has written a few books, but his most recent book is called Lift Up Your Hearts, A True Story of Loving Your Enemies, Tragically Killing Your Friends, and The Life That Remains. And this book is is an extremely poignant story. It's a, a story of love. Of, of another person, the, the love that we share with our friends and those close to us, and then what happens when there's loss and when there's loss by our own actions. And in this case, um, Douglas Kamek was driving a car. There was an accident, and two of the people closest to him were killed, one uh, nearly instantaneously, the other a, a couple of weeks later. But what's important about this story, in addition to the relationship that he had, with these two people, Monsignor John and Sister Mary, is um, the sort of redemptive qualities and how you've rebuilt your life to go on and share what you know and pay it forward in a certain sense, to serve serve others with the life lessons. 
That's very much, you know, true, Lisa. I mean, the the, uh, the tragedy, uh, you know, can can take you to one of two places. It seems to me, you can either cast yourself into darkness and forever curse, you know, the moment. And there's no question, but that the moment is in my mind every day, almost every minute. And I I now see everything, in part not just through my own eyes, but through the eyes of John and Mary. And indeed, have consciously chosen uh, to see w- uh, with their perspective as well, because I feel that there's a, a moral obligation to carry on for them. And many people have said to me that th- they see a certain provident- a providential uh, feature in that, that oftentimes when someone passes, their memory is beloved, but you know it recedes into the background, and that one of the things that's happened here uh, in our little community is that these people who were so beloved uh, and are so missed uh, now because of the tragic end uh, uh, we've managed as a group uh, as a community uh, to uh, preserve some of their writing and their thoughts in this book and in other things that we're, we're, we're doing in our local uh, community and so what this book is in part is about the uh, the importance of, of of maintaining that sense of optimism that that but also recognizing that that optimism is very much supported by the by those around us and that we can't do it alone that this is this is not a life where we travel by ourselves we we are traveling in the company of others and we can either lift each other up or pull each other down and uh, and it was the story of John Sheridan's life uh, that, in fact, uh, he called it the theology of kindness. I I call it that as well in the book, and 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 that's just more, and that's more than than just words. It it has real meaning to it. It it, it meant for John Sheridan, love recklessly. You know, to take chances, open your heart to people that you know at first might seem off-putting to you. Be inclusive. Not to be afraid of the unknown, not to be afraid of, of of undertaking a new understanding, being more of a positive force rather than a, a a negative one that is always deconstructing. And if you can do these things, one of the greatest benefits is that you can set aside the masks that uh, the world all too frequently seems to suggest that we have to wear. Because if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with these feelings of working through these tragic circumstances, uh, well, then you can be honest in almost any context. Uh, And so the theology of kindness is one that transforms in the sense that it connects you to others, uh, many others that you might not at first think are your friends or are traveling along the same path, and and that opens many new worlds. Uh, but it also connects you to who you are, uh, and uh, it's the best way I think of knowing yourself. So the book has you know three purposes: uh, one to um, to work through this tragic circumstance that in the middle of this great opportunity to serve my country occurred. It didn't stop me from serving my country. I, I in fact, insisted with the doctors that I get back to post as soon as possible. 
and in fact got back at, uh, even before all the surgery was finished, so I had some of the surgery done in Malta. Uh, but there were important things happening in Malta. It was, you know, this is a place, you know, that's just north of Libya and, and Egypt and uh, Tunisia. And uh, among other things, uh, when uh, democracy was starting to be expressed through the so-called uh, Arab Spring and the Facebook revolutions, well, some of the uh, oppressors didn't go easy into the good night. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi, for example, decided that he was going to reward those who were seeking reform with bullets. And uh, suddenly there was no way to get Americans and other foreign nationals out of Libya, and, and we had to devise a, a rescue plan to get them out. And so, you know, God brought me back in time to the to the post uh, so that uh, I could do what every good California would do if you couldn't get an airline flight. You'd go rent a catamaran and uh, then show up at the, you know in the in the Bay of Tripoli with the help of the Navy and the Coast Guard and uh, rescue about 300 and some people to bring them back to to safety and out of harm's way. So that the story of that's told in the book as well and there are some interesting stories about diplomacy and about our role in, uh, in the international field but even separate and apart from what i think are those interesting tales is this lasting value of being introduced to john and mary and this theology this ethic of kindness well, this brings me to a thought. I, I, I recently completed a chapter in a book on leadership, and I was asked to do this book, and I thought, oh, what do they want me to talk about leadership? You know, I'm in the, I'm in the happiness business. Um, but when I started to really think about it in the context of how one leads, this notion of kindness, if one is leading with kindness, leading with one's heart, using the diplomacy of good values to um, resolve conflicts and, and, and lead because internally you're right with yourself. And I think that that's what makes good leadership. And your journey through this, this dark time is proof positive of this. Well, I think you do have to know yourself and uh, you also have to know the other and, and you really have to know the other in, in the sense of understanding why the other uh, loves what he does uh, or she does. And let me give you an example. I mean, often I, I teach uh, students who want to be lawyers, and, uh, uh, you know, lawyers uh, can either heal disputes or they can aggravate them. Um, if you're If you're going to be the kind of lawyer that heals, that reconciles, uh, that in fact brings both sides uh, to a, a better resolution. Uh, and you, to, you have to know not only your own client's position, but you have to know the other side. And, and frequently I say to my students that the best way to begin a presentation on behalf of your client is to make a presentation on behalf of his opponent. Because only when you've actually sat down and put in your own words what the opposing um, individual or entity is thinking, can you fully grasp uh, the nature of the dispute and then, of course, make you know a, a an, an argument or a presentation on behalf of your own client, 
which then you know so so well coincides with the other side uh, that the two of them can uh, can resolve matters more easily and more effectively not all the time leadership doesn't always succeed but it is a question of knowing knowing yourself knowing the other and and really seeing from the other person's perspective mm. It makes me look at lawyering and and the legal system quite differently because we always think of it as oppositional. And in reality, what you've shared is that through good lawyering that so many other uh, skills are required. It's not just the art of negotiation. It's the art of listening. It's also the art of making sure that you can make your point known in a way that is easy to understand. You know, uh, saber rattling is not going to get you very far. Right. Now you, you announced the happy news that part of your enterprise received a 501c3 designation yes. from the IRS recently. In order to do that, you had to prepare a very lengthy, or your lawyers had to prepare a very lengthy application. It had to describe the nature of the charitable and educational purposes for which you were involved. Now, in order to do that effectively, the lawyer had to understand what was on the IRS's mind, you know, why it is that they asked those questions. And so the the first way to make a good application in that context was to to figure out the policy behind behind uh, that process and then to know your organization well enough so that the IRS would immediately understand it to be of of that high quality and that nature to be supported in that way. Um, so yes, I do think lawyering is a, is about healing and is about reconciling and uh, is about being effective in this way rather than the, the 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 older teaching of it just being adversarial and allowing the truth to emerge out of uh, you know that uh, point counterpoint. Adversity. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, I think we should talk a little bit just about that word because it has so many different, so many different thoughts come to my mind when we say adversity. The adversity of experience, the adversity of two warring factions or people. Uh, I want to mention where your book can be found and where you can be found. Um, Doug Kamek's website is commongoodcommonground.com commongoodcommonground.com and on Facebook please find him and connect with him at Lift Up Your Hearts what a beautiful name for a fan page of which I am one and um, he will be signing his book Lift Up Your Hearts a true story of loving your enemies tragically killing your friends and the life that remains at the diesel as in fuel diesel bookstore in Malibu, California on June 10th so that's just a few weeks away. Um, and you can find out more about what we do at HH, the number four, heroes.org. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back and talk about adversity. Where is my heart? We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cyphers Kamen on toginet.com. Do you like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. 
part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Cayman on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking today with Ambassador Douglas Kamek um, regarding his new book, Lift Up Your Hearts, A True Story of Loving Your Enemies, Tragically Killing Your Friends, and the Life That Remains. And that is a mouthful. And this book really is, I will go out on a limb and say a love story because it is about really um, uh, the story between Doug and uh, two people who were very dear to him, a tragedy ensued, and the life that he's been able to reclaim and create going forward, and the blessings of adversity. And that was what we were going to carry on our conversation about, is what happens when adversity strikes and what we do with it. And in your case, Doug, you have, you've transformed uh, what is a horrible tragedy into something that is uplifting for others and certainly for yourself well i've with with a great deal of prayer and a great deal of support from others i've been able to make my way in that direction and uh, you know uh, one of the ways in which this can be put is um, do we own ourselves is, is a question that is sometimes asked and and of course Somebody would say, "Well, who else would own us?" And uh, and the the response is is that you know we're actually when we're born into this world, we we are not owned by our parents, but we're you know we're part of a, a, a kinship. We're part of a we're part of a, a kin a kinship that begins with family, and then that family extends us into school, and then it extends us into workplace, and it extends us into community. And part of the book is is devoted to to bringing forth how important it is for us to see those interrelationships. And yes, all of those interrelationships, Lisa, are love love stories. There was a profound love story between myself and Monsignor John and Sister Mary. That was a very special friendship. But they were all about creating friendships. You know, the I, at one point in the book, I illustrate how so many people in Los Angeles probably got to know each other simply because John Sheridan at the back of some ceremony said, oh, Lisa, you must know so-and-so. And 
And, uh, of course, you didn't. But at that moment, you did, and suddenly there was a new friendship created. And he was all about, you know, extending those circles of friendship and, and, and never in a judgmental way, you know, that you would come to him. And, of course, this is a man who had a, quite a discerning eye. And, he, you know, he could see failings, you know, probably from a mile away, but he wouldn't tell you about them. He'd let you discover them yourself. And uh, because the, the way in which you would discover them would be your friendship would grow so strongly with him, you wouldn't want to disappoint him. Uh, you, you would, you, you, and by virtue of that, you'd want to reform those aspects that were rough edges that we all have and that we all need to work on from time to time. So it is a love story at that level, but it's also, you know, when, when we talk about an endorsement uh, of a Republican, of a Democratic candidate, that's an aspect of love too. It's a, it's one that goes out on a limb that basically says, you know, I don't disrespect all of my friends over my lifetime that I've made in the on the Republican side of the ledger, but I want to offer them the thought that maybe they have not seen something at this particular moment in time that the other side offers that is very much in need. And President Obama did offer that in 2008. He, he offered a, 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 a legacy of, of optimism and hope. And uh, now in 2012, that desire for hope is still there, that that belief that, yes, we can, we can accomplish great things, notwithstanding that, you know, we've been dealt some pretty bad economic circumstances. And people will say, well, the question is now, can he deliver? Well, it's not a question of just whether he can deliver. It's whether we can deliver. Uh, and... Uh, that's where I think the 2012 election will uh, will be fought. And, and those were just the very words I was thinking. Can can we collectively deliver? Because leadership is not about that one person or that select group doing the work. The leadership is about inspiring the collective group to execute the plan for the greater good. And I think that that is the challenge in this election. That is the challenge in the times that we're living and why um, the world, the new paradigm, which is how we came to meet, which was at at the TEDx community event in Malibu, was all about flourishing in the new paradigm. How How do we do life when the circumstances that we have known, albeit financial, emotional, physical, whatever it is, and that's how we all came together was through that event um, have shifted so drastically and that was a wonderful event and you you know it, it still resonates in my, my, my you know in my mind to, 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 to just the sheer scope of what you brought together there on that afternoon because you really did bring economics and philosophy and sociology and just good stories uh, that demonstrated that well as John would say, you know, in this life, it's it, we make uh, we should realize that it's it's the little things that create differences. It's the big things of life in which we are one. You know, John had a, had a prayer uh, that he would often say, and it was a prayer that basically said, "Let let's put aside pettiness. Let's be large in our thoughts. You know, let's be as." As in, you know, as welcoming in our thoughts and words and deeds as we can. Don't go out of our way to find fault with the other. 
Uh, don't be self-seeking. Be be alert to pretenses. Put them aside. You know, don't don't indulge in uh, uh, self-pity and and try as best as you can to put aside prejudice. And that means, you know, not being hasty in judgment and, and being as generous as we can toward the other. That was his approach. And uh, to have that reflected in the TEDx event that you mentioned, I think people would see it. It, it may be a new paradigm, but it's also uh, what, what I think coincides with uh, something very old and timeless, and that is the essence of human nature, the truth of who we are as human people. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be above or aloof or distant from society. We're meant to be in it. Uh, and uh, we're either in it together or we're we're not going to succeed. And I think, again, it, as we approach 2012, I think we have to listen with with that perspective in mind as to which of the candidates are is taking us in in that direction to divide or to unify and i and i do believe that um obama's vision the president's vision is one that is about unification and regardless of where we come from and um, that's another show and a whole other conversation. But I, I find to this day when I think of your story, of, I'm fascinated by it because it really speaks to who you are, to your character, to your strength of heart, to stand up and say, you know, there's another perspective, there's another way to look at your faith as a Catholic, and you are a, a devout Catholic, to look at the abortion issue, which has a very clear standing in, in, in the Catholic Church, but then look at it in the context of, uh, of the whole picture, the greater good. And as you described to me in private conversation and on this show about uh, a woman being pregnant and coming into the world when she has, or he has, being the father, and then th- the possibility of the struggle that right. many families have where there is complete scarcity, that it's not just n- not having enough money, it's not having money, not yeah. having, having basic needs. And that's, that's the issue, I think, that uh, is the greatest challenge for us all moving forward in this new paradigm, to see that everyone has enough, that everybody has that basic care and basic need met. Well, you know, there's a f- fundamental divide at the moment between the Republicans and the Democrats as to the role of government. Uh, the, the president sees government as 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 a form of community, as a way of meeting those needs. The Republicans do not. They tend to see government as the problem. There is a place of common ground even between those two stark differences, and that is if you're going to be of the belief that government doesn't have an answer, and sometimes it doesn't, we know government isn't always effective or as effective as it should be, that doesn't mean you just throw up your hands and turn away from the problem, because there are still women in need of shelter, there are still women in need of health care, there are still families in need of those things. There's obviously still veterans, as you reflect so well on your program, in need of great care and much deserving of it um, by virtue of their service. All of these things, these these issues still cry out for our participation. So if, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, 
the answer is not whether you're for or against government. The answer is how are you going to help? Uh, you know, how are you going to connect? Uh, to what degree are you going to see your fellow person and, and reach out and say, you know, here's a hand? Uh, whether it be a private hand that comes through, you know, something of a private institution, a church or a community organization, or whether it be, you know, devising public policy. Uh, So the real divide is whether there are people who are going to reach out and help or whether there are people who are just going to try and put their head in the sand and pretend that there's no need uh, to, to, to address these issues. Um, well, and, and silence is not the answer either. You know, that when we remain silent, we, we actually give away our power in this instance. And having our voices be heard, no matter what side we are on, as long as we do it respectfully and kindly and with action is 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 critical. Um, we are out of time, and I am just astounded how quickly this hour has flown by. I wanted to mention ways that our listeners can get in touch with you and buy your book, Lift Up Your Hearts, A True Story of Loving Your Enemies, Tragically Killing Your Friends, and The Life That Remains, is available on Amazon.com and at Barnes & Noble um, as an ebook version and a print version. You are having a book signing, which I'm going to attend on June 10th at the Diesel Bookstore in Malibu, California. Uh, You can find out more about Ambassador Douglas Kamek and his great work at Common Good. Uh, Wait, help me out here. I can't even read my own writing. Common Good, Common Ground. Common Good, Common Ground.com. And on Facebook, please find him and love him, like him at Lift Up Your Hearts. And I've got a couple of words before we part, and I'm going to speed share them. And that is, happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest actions. Until next time. Remember, happiness is an inside job. Thank you, Ambassador Kamek. We'll have you back again. Thank you for being a part of Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. We'll do this again next Wednesday morning at 10, 11 Central here on Tokyo.